In Revelation 3.10, Jesus said, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. What did Jesus mean when he made this promise? You will hear the answer today on A View from the Wall. Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Well, thank you again for joining us today. I'm Dylan Burroughs, along with co-host Joe Kerr, and we are joined on our program today with Pete Garcia, leader of the popular prophecy website Rev310.com. Pete, welcome to A View from the Wall today. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you with us. We love your website and the resources it has, and we're going to talk about some of those. But I want to get started with a little bit about your own life. Your biography notes that you came to faith at a young age, yet you had a come-to-Jesus moment, is what you call it, in the fall of 2007. Start by sharing what happened that led to the ministry you're doing today. Well, I, you know, like a lot of folks, I grew up in church. Uh, I grew up uh, going to a Southern Baptist church, and I, I lived my life like any other normal American teenager. And I went to high school and uh, eventually joined the Army. Uh, I think I was about 18 when I joined. And it was somewhere around that time that I, I really just kind of, uh, I don't want to say walked away from my faith, but I kind of walked away from my faith. Um, I, I wasn't sure entirely what I believed in, but I, I was trying so hard to be, uh, to be saved that, you know, I was confused on, on how my actions correlated with my salvation. So it became very disparaging and, and, uh, I kind of just lost my way, became the prodigal son, if you will, and kind of drifted off until about the age of 33. And, uh, it was about that time I was in the army, a series of events kind of happened all uh, back to back. And, and it just really drove me back to God. And, um, I lost a good friend, uh, who committed suicide. Um, and that was terrible in and of itself. I mean, having to endure that. Um, but, but shortly thereafter I met my wife, uh, which was a wonderful thing. And then I got married and then I deployed to Afghanistan and this was all within just a few months of each other. And here I am deployed to Eastern Afghanistan and, and yeah, just scratching my head, like wondering what happened, you know, this, this all transpired very quickly. And I had a book, uh, by Chuck Missler and I don't even remember how I came across it. Uh, it was the, uh, 24 hours through the Bible. And it just really, uh, it, it put the, the Bible together for me in a way that I had never seen done before. And, at that point, it was like God ignited something inside of me, and I knew I had to serve, and I knew I had to do something, uh, but I didn't know what. And um, I, you know, for a number of years, I tried, uh, you know, uh, joining prison ministries. I was uh, helping out with the Gideons. I was doing a number of things, and, and nothing really seemed to fit right. And um, it was about the, uh, it was in uh, 2011 when, uh I had found the Omega letter uh, that that was uh, ran by Jack Kinsella, and uh, I was talking on one of the forums uh, with the, some of the other members there, and, and kind of out of the blue, Jack asked me if I'd uh, be interested in being one of the, the writers, and 
I knew that this was a God thing because I hated writing and, and I, <laughs> I, you know, that was the last thing I wanted to do. But, uh, uh-huh. but the minute, the minute I started, you know, I kind of, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stop. And my wife, my wife calls it my addiction now. She's like, I used to write so much. Hey, that's not a bad addiction. Yeah. Well, I know that you've done a lot since then. Uh, you've done over 350 articles between that website and now Rev310. And uh, we've been looking at some of those. This Nowhere to Hide series, it's part a two-part series where on part one, you have this message toward Jewish believers. And so we want to talk a little bit about that as well. I mean, how did you get involved in talking specifically to Jewish believers in this article? What did you mean by that? I think uh, for me, it, it was more, so the article, uh, Nowhere to Hide, came out of uh, this idea that that when the Antichrist comes to power, that, that, that he is going to have such overwhelming force on his side that uh, that there is going to be nowhere to hide. There's not going to be uh, the ability to go to bunkers or have all your you know, stored food and, and weapons and gold and, and all these things. Those things aren't going to save you. I mean, if you look at the, the vast array of, of uh, sources and uh, resources that he'll have at his disposal, um, the technology, the, uh, the military, the world uh, economic control the 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 coalescing of all the world's government political power um there is going to be no place for folks to hide and we see that played out in revelation uh particularly six and seven with this countless number of martyrs that are coming out of every nation and so for me one of the uh primary audiences i was looking at was the the jewish believers and when i say that i don't mean the messianic uh jews but the the Jewish uh, believers in Judaism, and I wanted to show them in, in this that uh, that after the rapture of the church, I believe that that this will be a sign to them, and just as Paul stated in in First Corinthians, uh, I think one twenty two, you know that, that that the Jews request a sign and the Greeks are are looking after wisdom or seeking after wisdom, that this will be a sign for them, and then I began to tie in all these different things that Jesus was the Messiah that the Bible teaches the rapture, and that this is a sign that the Messiah is coming back very soon. And so that's kind of where I, I um, went from it from for the Jews in particular. You make the reference in the article to the age we live in, and you call it an age of subjective reasoning. How is truth subjective? How should Christians view the truth of God's Word? Well, I think uh, that, that the Bible... Uh, in its totality, is very objective. Um, even at the beginning of it, you know, it, it says, in the beginning, God created, dot, dot, dot. Uh, it doesn't give some long-winded explanation about, uh, it just states it as fact. And it says, in the beginning, God created. And right there, that sets the tone for the rest of the Bible. And, and, and even by chapter 3, you see this attempt by Satan to introduce subjectivity into it that he goes up to Eve and he says, hath God said? And, and so from there on, there is this, this battle over the truth um, that we see played out in human history. But from a scriptural standpoint, the Bible predates, I, I think I listened to the article, it predates our U.S. Constitution, it predates the Magna Carta, it predates the Roman Empire, it predates the, the Egyptian empires, you know, going all the way back to Job, if we count Job as the first book of the Bible, and so it has remained constant, a constant source of objective truth that believers throughout the ages could 
could lean on and rely on for a source of comfort and a source of assuredness in their life that, that their life has meaning and that there's a God that loves them. And, you know, if we look back in our current age where we are right now in the 21st century, if we just wind the clocks back a little bit, we see that, that we are in the final stages today uh, in this, it's like the culmination of, of all this human reasoning and it's coming up to nothing. It's coming up to absolute craziness with wanting to self-identify as whatever you want you know, people wanting to go back and rewrite history, people wanting to uh, redefine reality today. And, and that had a beginning. And those beginnings really began, uh, for me, I mean, the way I look at it from an academic standpoint, at the Protestant Reformation, that when Martin Luther began uh, his protest against the Roman Catholic Church, that began to loosen the stranglehold over Europe at the time that the Roman Catholic Church had. And, and furthermore, we go a century later into the Age of enlighten, Enlightenment with, uh, with Isaac Newton's um, Principia Mathematica, I think at the end of the, the 17th century there. Um, that begins this, uh, this blossoming period where science and the scientific method really becomes uh, the, the standard that, that men are trying to achieve. And that, ends, you know, that period comes to an end as well in the, the late uh, 18th century, and you have the French Revolution, and, and that left a vacuum, you know, that, that left a vacuum that was filled with the age of reasoning. And, and, and I say all that to say that, that when Roman Catholicism lost its stranglehold over Europe, it created a vacuum, uh, and that vacuum was filled with human reasoning. And, and really, when you read through the age of reason, you get things like deism, existentialism, Marxism, humanism, naturalism, and all these varying forms of philosophies, all, they all have the, kind of the same foundation in that they remove God from the picture, and when you do that, you end up with something like Darwinian evolution, um, social Darwinism, survival of the fittest, that whole thing, you know, eugenics. And then ultimately, uh, right around the, the turn of the 20th century, you get nihilism or nihilism. And in the 20th century then becomes the testing bed for all of this human philosophy. And it's the bloodiest on record. It's, it's the 20th century is bloodier than the previous 20 centuries combined. So we are now in the 21st century, even further removed, and we have all this history behind us to, to guide us as, uh, I forget the guy's name, he said that if, uh, you know, those who don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. You know, we have all that, but yet people are still choosing to ignore it. And, and that's where I think we're at this point of kind of lunacy right now, where the, the lunatics are running, are running the uh, insane asylum, and, and we're kind of caught here in the middle, watching, <laughs> watching everything kind of timidly, you know, afraid to, you know, not, not everybody, but a lot of folks are afraid to speak out because, you know, it may cost them their job. It may cost them their livelihood. It may cost them everything. And so we have to go back to the Bible, go back to the fact that we can trust it. It, it doesn't contradict itself. God says what he means, and, and he has used these men, uh, the, the prophets and the apostles, to convey his nature and his purpose for us uh, in this life. And that ultimately that this, this age that we're in will come to an end. You know, it's not going to go on forever and ever that, that this age had a beginning and also have an end. And that's a good way to put it. And we're talking with Pete Garcia here on A View from the Wall. Stick with this. We'll be right back. From I Am a Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am a Watchman Minute. The I Am a Watchman Ministry believes the rapture can happen at any time. 
Are your friends and loved ones spiritually prepared for the return of the Lord? Because the I'm a Watchman ministry is concerned about those who will be left behind, we've created a new resource called the Rapture Kit. This resource is profiled on rapturekit.org website. Rapture kits are designed to help individuals share their faith before the rapture and provide both spiritual and practical information for those not taken in the rapture. The digital resource includes nine ebooks, a dozen teaching videos, evangelistic tracts, a Bible, a 120 page digital binder of helpful information, and more. Please visit rapturekit.org for additional information on this potentially life saving resource. Be bold, be faithful. Be a watchman. I am a watchman.com. We're back here on A View from the Wall. We've been talking with Pete Garcia from Rev310.com, and we hope that you'll take time to look at that as well. Rev310.com, a great site with lots of information about Bible prophecy, including some of the material we're talking about today. And as we talk about the idea of the rapture in the end times, there are lots of views about the rapture. But for those who may be new to our program or new to this concept, take just a moment, if you would, Pete, to briefly describe the difference between what is known as the pre-trib or pre-tribulation rapture and other views of the rapture, such as the mid-trib or the post-tribulation rapture. All right. Well, the, the first thing is that I'm sure a lot of people are exposed to this term, the rapture, either through Hollywood or through um, the news of, of people coming out saying, you know, the rapture is going to happen on this date or that date. And, and I just want to say that, that both of those are, are very uh, perverted extremes of, of the rapture. The rapture is actually taught in the Bible. It comes from a Latin word, uh, rapio, which is a translation from the Greek word harpazo, which is found in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, in particular, I believe, verse 16. And in the English, we have that word caught up. Um, so the doctrine is absolutely true. And, and another thing about the pre-tribulation rapture is that um, it's really the pre-70th week of Daniel rapture. I mean, the, the tribulation portion of that is kind of a uh, something that people call that, um, but it really encompasses the entire seven years. It's not just the three and a half years, um, but it's a seven-year period of time, the 70th week is, that, that the Daniel uh, was given by the angel Gabriel in uh, Daniel chapter 9. And it really lays out the, the full history leading up to the arrival of the Messiah, the 490 years. Well, that, that last week of years uh, has not happened yet. So we are still looking at that as a future week of years because there's nothing in history that, that can uh, line up with that. And so the Bible um, very clearly uh, details that this rapture, this catching up of the church, will happen in the future. Um, jo- Jesus taught about it in John 14. Paul teaches it uh, in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. John mentions it in uh, Revelation 3, quoting Jesus there. Um, but there's a few different kind of overarching views. Um, you have preterism, historicism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, and then you have premillennialism. Uh, in, in real brief, uh, historicism, it's like a progressive and continuous fulfillment of prophecy. So any particular age you live in, you can always kind of point to somebody and say, that guy's the Antichrist. Whether it's today and you're looking at uh, Donald Trump or it's you know 500 years ago and you're looking at the Pope or 500 years before that, it's some barbarian warlord. 
it's always kind of like in the present. Um, and then you have preterism, which was, it came about around the 15th century, uh, excuse me, 16th century. And it was this, uh, part of the counter reformation where, uh, the Catholic church tried to present this idea that all of prophecy had already happened and all of that stuff was done. Everything in revelation was done in the first century. It was, you know, really designed to defend the Roman Catholic church. You have, uh, amillennialism, which is what, uh, what really came about through Augustine and uh, in the fourth century, and it was this idea that there is no millennial kingdom. Christ isn't physically going to ru- rule the earth for a thousand years. This is what the Roman Catholic Church took in place and, and used it and was incorporated into Roman Catholic doctrine. And you have, finally, you have premillennialism, that Christ uh, will return before, and you know, he'll finish the 70th week of Daniel, and that he will return and rule on the earth uh, with his church in, in tow. Premillennialism then is broken up into four different views. You've got post-tribulationism, the mid-trib view, the pre-wrath view, and the pre-trib view. I subscribe to the premillennial pre-trib view. I believe the other things are uh, uh, easily disprovable. Um, however, they've managed to stick around these number of years. Uh, I think most troubling to me would be like the pre-wrath view, which is really kind of a Johnny Come Lately uh, a view. Uh, we can see that really that really uh, kind of took off in the 1990s. But uh, the roots of that really, I think, to me, go back to um, Herbert W. Armstrong. He, he was talking about these ideas back in the 1960s. So um, not that, that they are exactly the same, but I believe that, that once Hal Lindsey's book came out, um, it kind of opened the floodgate for a lot of other, these other views to become popularized. And they kind of jumped on this bandwagon and began to, like, they wanted to stand out from him. Therefore they went off in these, all these different directions that um, really began to um, add a lot of discord into the body of Christ. In my opinion. We're talking about the series of articles, nowhere to hide parts one and two. And the second part you titled, I'm going to give this a shot. You gave it this title. That's difficult to pronounce at, at least quickly reasons for anti pre trib bias. What are some of those reasons that you see why people oppose this view? Uh, you know, I, I listed out there. I, I put that, uh, you know, obviously there are probably more reasons than what I have on there, but just for, um, uh, the basics I put on there, uh, you know, the inheriting of bad hermeneutics and hermeneutics is how you interpret the Bible. I mentioned uh, uh, earlier about Augustine. Augustine uh, began to allegorize scripture. He began to depart from the literal interpretation and began to say, well, I don't think it, I know it says this, but I think it means this. And he began to put his own opinion into that. Well, he got that from a guy prior to him uh, named Origen. And, and Origen really kind of laid the foundation for being able to have the liberty to apply allegory to Scripture. And then that, you know, from Augustine forward, you know, that was incorporated into the Catholic Church doctrine. And then even after the Protestant Reformation, um, you know, most of the, the Protestant churches that came out of that Reformation and, and over the next couple of centuries, they changed their doctrines in regards to, to salvation and to the Church and other things, but they left the eschatology alone. And they pretty much just took on the, the amillennial position that the Roman Catholic Church had adopted. And um, so I think that's one aspect of it. And that's just kind of been one of those things that keep getting passed down to generation after generation. I mentioned earlier about the personality-driven uh, eschatology. And, and then once, 
you know, before Hal Lindsey, you know, eschatology was largely, I don't want to say it was entirely confined to the academic world, uh, the evangelical academic world, but, you know, most, most people didn't care or didn't know. Um, and, and you had to have been into those things to, to want to know about eschatology. Um, but after Hal Lindsey's book, I mean, it was so successful that I think that a lot of people saw that as, as a means to uh, cash in on it, you know, kind of ride the popularity wave on it. And they begin to introduce all kind of crazy stuff. And, and by no means am I blaming him. I mean, this is just, you know, the way it is, you know, in, any band that comes out, there's a million bands that come out after like the Beatles or whoever. Right. Well, that's a good way to put it. We're going to jump in here and take a break. But when we come back, we'll talk more about these reasons for the anti-pre-trib bias, as well as more about the rapture and the return. So we'll be back in just a moment. Stick with us. Understanding the Times 2019 is around the corner, Saturday, September 21, just outside of Minneapolis. Do you have your tickets yet? If not, call the Brushfire Agency at 1-888-338-5338. That's 1-888-338-5338. Or just go online to brushfire.com. We are selling general admission tickets for $25, and that includes a lunch. Speakers include Dr. Robert Jeffress, Amir Sarfati, Pastor J.D. Farag, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Jan Markell, and Lori Cardoza-Moore. Come and meet 5,000 like-minded remnant believers on Saturday, September 21. Learn why things aren't falling apart, they are falling into place. Welcome back. We're here on A View from the Wall with P. Garcia. We've been talking about the rapture and his work with Rev310.com. That's Rev310.com, a great resource for Bible prophecy information. And as we've been talking at the end of the last segment about this idea of anti-pre-trib bias, this idea that there are those who oppose the concept that Jesus will come back any moment to take his people to be with him, it's important to know some of those reasons that stand out today. And one of those I would say we need to still address is this idea of technology. Talk a little bit about some of the technologies that might be fighting against what we see in terms of the teachings in the Bible regarding the rapture of the believers. Well, I think uh, we see it. I mean, anybody it's, uh, can see it today with uh, social media, uh, with the censorship that's ongoing with Twitter, with uh, Facebook, YouTube, and whatnot, that these are, these are platforms that have been weaponized against uh, not just conservative thought, but, but Christian thought and biblical uh, reasoning. And uh, this is clearly uh, a satanic agenda. I mean, I can't think of any other reason why YouTube would allow Islamic, uh, you know, violent Islamic videos to be portrayed, you know, without question. But if you have a, a teaching on, on the Bible, it's somehow dangerous. So the only reason I can think of is that this is something that is quickly being turned against uh, Christians. And uh, that is that's part and parcel with it. Um, to the last point of the, the anti-pretria bias, I think, is this reintroduction of the workspace salvation that we have to somehow be purified to go. In order to go to heaven, we have to be purified through fire. We have to go through this, these, uh, the, uh, the wrath of uh, 
you know, whatever wrath of man, wrath of Satan in order to gain that salvation. And I think that's the, clearly not what the Bible teaches. Anything that is salvation plus is not biblical. That's for sure. Pete, we'd like to close every program with a word of encouragement to challenge the watchmen who listen to this program and visit our website. And those who watch, warn, witness, and finish well, what do watchmen need to know about the rapture? Those who are on the front lines. Uh, you know, I wrote one, one of those kind of common themes that I've had throughout the years of writing. It's been uh, waiting and not growing weary. Uh, and, and for me in particular, it's, it's kind of a personal story because we see all of these things, uh, 2012, Y2K, you know, blood moons, and we want to get hyped up. We want to get, uh, we want to get excited. And, 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 and then when the day comes and goes, people just get really just beat down. And I've tried to do my best to counsel against that. I had a book or excuse me, I had an article out uh, a couple of years ago called it's the end of the world. Now what? And I had four principles in there that I've heard. And, I, and to be fair, I, I don't know where I heard it from. I just, it stuck in my head. And I thought, man, that really makes sense. But that we are to worship, wait, work, and watch. Uh, you know, worship, it's not just going to church on Sunday, but it's, it's an act that we do every day of our lives all day. Um, that, that we constantly think about God, that we are constant in communion with Him. If we sin, because we are sinners, that, that we uh, quickly ask for forgiveness and we, we go back to kind of keeping our focus on God. Um, and waiting, you know, uh, the scripture is uh, replete with stories of, of men and women of faith, uh, the hall of faith in Hebrews. And, and a lot of that faith and a lot of the, the greatness about those individuals is because they had to wait for something. You know, Abraham had to wait to have his son. You know, the uh, Jews had to wait, you know, centuries to get out of Egypt for that to be delivered from this bondage. And, and throughout the Bible, we, ha- we have this. And waiting is a concept that we need to understand that it adds to your faith and it develops us and it matures us as believers, not for salvation, but for sanctification. So just want people to know that, that our waiting is not done in vain and that God is going to reward those for their faithfulness. For working, you know, like I said earlier about, um, you know, God bringing me to, to a point to where he wanted to use me for writing, um, we have to just find what it is that God uh, has put into us, uh, these God-given gifts, and we have to find contentment where He places us. And the last thing is the watching, uh, and, and to always uh, keep an eye up to the sky. Uh, I always go back to Revelation 3.3. 3. Uh, Jesus said, uh, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. I, I for one, don't want to be caught unawares. But all of those things have to be balanced. I mean, if you worship and work, but you don't watch, I mean, uh, you, you grow out, you grow uh, cold, you know, and, and you can burn out quickly. If you watch and wait, but you don't work or worship, then you have the tendency to drift off into fringe areas, fringe topics, and places that, that have no uh, edification. And so all of those, those four, you know, worship, wait, uh, work, and watch, those have to be the balance of the Christian's life. P. Garcia with Rev310.com. We also want to point out that Pete is one of the authors of the book Discerners, edited by Terry James, who we've had on the program here on A View from the Wall. And when the book comes out, we'll have it available at IamAWatchman.com in our bookstore. We want to thank you for being with us today. And you can find out more at IamAWatchman.com as well as Pete's site, Rev310.com. That's Rev310.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be with you next time here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am a Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth 
sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.